to Insight for Impact, the podcast from SQW featuring conversations with experts on the issues that matter in economic and social development. Welcome to the latest episode of Insight for Impact, the SQW podcast. I'm Joe Daggett. Today we will be focusing on the theme of careers education delivered through schools and colleges, including the role of work experience that allows young people to gain first-hand experience of different sectors, develop workforce skills and help inform their thinking about future careers. I'm delighted to be joined for this discussion by Elnaz Kashef of Speakers for Schools and my colleague Will Millard. Elnaz is Head of Research and Policy at Speakers for Schools. She has over 10 years of research experience in the field of careers, school-to-work transitions, youth labour market and employability skills. She is a fellow at the National Institute for Career Education and Counselling and also a visiting research fellow at the International Centre for Guidance Studies. Elnaz, many thanks for joining us on Insight for Impact. Thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, it's great to be here talking about a very timely topic, uh, very close to Speakers for Schools, uh, to core of our mission, but also speaks to my experience in the past decade. Great to be here. Thanks, Inez. And I'm also joined by Will Millard, an Associate Director at SQW, who leads much of our work relating to education, children and young people. A former teacher and school leader, Will has worked with a wide range of clients, including businesses, universities, local and national governments, and third sector organisations and charities. Will led our recent research into work experience for Speakers for Schools, which we will talk about as part of this discussion. Will, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Joe. It's great to be here. Elnaz, just to start us off, could you tell us a bit about Speakers for Schools as an organisation? Yes, sure. Speakers for Schools is a largest social mobility charity in the UK in terms of size and national reach. Uh, We help to level the playing field between state and independent schools by giving all young people access to the same prestigious networks and opportunities available to the top fee-paying schools. Uh, Speakers for Schools believe that by inspiring young people to explore their ambitions through our external speaker program, facilitating access to high quality experiences of the world of work and supporting young people to constantly seizing opportunities for continuous education and employment available to them, we can make a transformational change to their lives, future happiness and prosperity, and hopefully as a result of that, the productivity and competitiveness of the UK economy. Thanks, Elias. So how would you describe the current status, the current state of careers education in the UK? And how has that changed? How has it developed, say, over the last decade? A very timely topic, as I'm sure you know, last week the Education Select Committee published uh, its review of the careers education system in England and has some very, very interesting conclusions based on the written and oral evidence provided, including our own uh, founder, Robert Peston, who appeared before the committee to share speakers for school's thoughts about uh, the issue. There are a few things I think worth uh, covering in answering your question. I must say the, the system of careers education 
information, advice, and guidance, and I'm going to refer to as CIAG from now on, uh, has seen much change in, in recent years since responsibility for CIG was transferred to schools and colleges in 2012. The landscape has developed significantly, in particular with the introduction of the Gatsby benchmarks and the 2017 Careers Strategy. The Gatsby Career Benchmarks is a framework setting out what world-class careers provision in education at schools and colleges looks like. The eight benchmarks are a stable careers programme, learning from career and labour market information, addressing the needs of each pupil, linking curriculum learning to careers, encounters with employers and employees, experiences of workplaces, encounters with further and higher education, and personal guidance. The benchmarks have been adopted as part of the UK government's career strategy and statutory guidance for schools and guidance for colleges in England. Uh, we have appeared to reach a point where the right framework seems to be broadly accepted and in place uh, and can see successful models being practiced across the country. However, there seems to be a lack of overarching strategy with stated outcomes uh, from uh, the career provision in the country. Schools and colleges are making progress towards meeting Gatsby benchmarks, but only meeting just over half of them on average. Also, since there's no measurement system accompanying the Gatsby benchmarks, it is hard to evidence that meeting benchmarks has long-term impact on young people's success and achieving their potential. So overall, I can say that there has has been positive progress, positive change, but there's much more work to be done comparing to the era before 2012 where we had an embedded system and, and some mandation uh, around uh, careers activities, including work experience. The second point is around the establishment of the careers and enterprise company. The CEC is providing very useful uh, support to schools and colleges and We've seen positive feedback uh, by educators uh, around the impact of being part of a career hub, for instance, or having a named career leader looking after the career provision. However, one of the issues in the system is that we do have named career leaders in every school that is part of the, uh, the guideline for, for schools and colleges, but they don't normally have the capacity to deliver a fully thought through career provision just because of the lack of availability of time within their job roles. Often we've seen career leaders doing multiple jobs, wearing different hats, having less than half of a day, for instance, to look after and the careers provision. So there's a capacity and resource issue and that I think is worth definitely mentioning. And this definitely means that schools with access to more resources can afford to have a dedicated uh, member of staff looking after provisions comparing to those who don't. The transfer of responsibility of CIG to schools and colleges meant that funding for this has to come out of the existing budget. This is causing significant disparity in provisions between different schools and colleges. And we can actually see from the Education Select Committee report that on average it's around £5,000 per school spending on careers provision. And actually it costs around thirty-eight grand to seventy-five dollars uh, grand to fully deliver the Gatsby benchmark. So definitely lack of investment, uh, lack of funding results again in disparity of quality of provisions. Thanks, Elnez. That's a really 
great overview of the current status and state of the system. Will, would there be anything you'd like to add? Um, I agree. Really helpful overview. I've got three observations that I'll make. And actually, I'm going to start rather mischievously with a point of disagreement, actually. So the line in the Select Committee report is the right framework is broadly in place, but there is a lack of overarching strategy with stated outcomes. And I I actually disagree with that. I think the Gatsby benchmarks provide a really helpful compass point north for careers activities in schools. My sense is, as Anna says, the issue is a lack of resource, a lack of time and space to move towards those goals. The second observation I'd make is that careers education, I think, over the last decade has become simultaneously more fragmented and much more about individual school level responsibility simultaneously more centralised. So you've got, as Anna says, the sort of funding for careers education coming out of schools own budgets now, alongside the establishment of the Careers Enterprise Company, the introduction of the Gatsby benchmarks, etc. So you've sort of got this strange fragmentation and centralisation in the same reforms. And that, I think, is a pattern with some other education reforms we've seen over the last decade or so. And the third and final thing I want to say is just that I think the primacy of university education and university-based academic pathways is still very much exerting its grip over the way we think about careers. You know, Tony Blair, to quote a contemporary political reference, was talking about parity of esteem between academic and vocational qualifications and pathways, and I think we're still absolutely miles away from that. And it's really, really interesting that the T-level reforms, which were introduced actually some time ago now, some teachers still haven't even heard of T-levels. And I just think that's really, really striking. So I agree with everything that Elnaz was saying um, and would add those those points. Thanks, Will. Elnaz, you've spoken a bit about work experience and Speakers for Schools launched a, a campaign around work experience and then commissioned SQW to undertake some work to, that helped to inform that. Can you tell us a bit about that campaign, what you were trying to achieve what it involved, and then what you were looking to get out of the the research that you commissioned. Sure. Thank you, Joe. Uh, So people are frequently being left to arrange work placements themselves, relying on parental networks, who they know, who they have access to as a social capital, with little or no support from their school. And our very first uh, research into the current state of uh, access to work experience or work participation showed that only 50% of state-funded school-aged young people have reported that they took part in in work experience and young people in small towns, rural areas with limited access to opportunities for work experience still missing out uh, the benefits of it. So the opportunity is not equally distributed across the society and often sometimes it's looked as a tick box exercise when schools do it. So they don't really look into the quality of the work experience, what it is aligned with the aspiration of young person and a proper support mechanism around making the most out of the opportunity that young people do get to, to access. And we know uh, from evidence that work experience can, can act like a catalyst for young people to explore 
barriers to routes into employment, access first-hand insights into specific sectors and jobs, develop both essential and sometimes technical skills such as the digital competencies in case of virtual experiences. And more importantly, it brings learning to life by letting them apply their knowledge that they gain through their education in unfamiliar situations and real-life projects. And this has significant uh, implications for employers too, uh, as they strive to build a more diverse workforce with a reliable future talent pipeline, uh, and for government to strive in addressing the skills gap, we think that work experience uh, has a very fundamental role to play here. So to help young people realize their potential, Speakers for Schools has launched its Work Experience for All campaign. The overarching aim of this ambitious campaign is to explore what it would take for every young person across the country to access quality, impactful work experience. Um, We work with a range of partners to answer some very key questions that we had in the beginning of the campaign and explored the impact offered on employment outcomes, what policy levers we can and should pull to deliver for our young people, but also what are the characteristics of successful work experience and some international models we can learn from. The campaign calls for a minimum of two uh, placements between the ages of 14 and 18, Uh, And actually, a report with SQW and Social Market Foundation shows what are the elements of high-quality placement that we should have in place to make sure young people get the most out of their experiences, but also how can we deliver this ambitious policy and what is the cost of it. Thanks, Eleanor. That tees us up very nicely. Will, do you want to say a bit more about the the research, the, the key findings from SQW's work? Yeah, happily. So um, the emphasis was on um, trying to draw really concrete findings from other jurisdictions, uh, comparable jurisdictions. So we did a rapid evidence review. We looked for English language evidence about other developed countries and the sorts of work experience programs that they put in place. And when I say work experience, I know this is going to be obvious to lots of listeners already, but we're talking specifically about uh, short-term placements for students in full-time education. There are variations on a theme, you know, sometimes we talk about things like internships, which tend to be longer, and those tend to be for slightly older students at university. So we're talking here about a slightly younger cohort. Um, But to give you a couple of concrete examples, we looked at evidence from uh, Canada, from British Columbia specifically, and some of the work experience programs they've got in place there. And these are really interesting because these are completed by young people aged 15 up to about 16, 17. And they can actually use these courses to contribute course credits towards their graduation, which I think is quite an interesting concept. The other thing that is interesting about uh, British Columbia is that it's the school districts that arrange the placements. And one of the real barriers for work experience, certainly in the UK, is that it's very reliant on the pupils' networks, or more specifically, their parents' networks. And Elnaz has already spoken a bit about that. Um, The work experience in British Columbia is optional, um, and conversely, work experience programs in France and in Norway are mandatory. So when students are aged 13 and 14, they take part in a one-week program, and and that's actually mandated as part of their education, which I think is, is again, an interesting variation on what we see here. Elna has talked about some of the positive benefits, so I won't dwell on those, but in terms of um, some of the sort of facilitating 
factors and some of the barriers to work experience. I mean, schools having the space and time to adequately prepare their pupils for these placements, you know, they're not just packing them off for a week with absolutely no briefing whatsoever, but actually spending some time preparing students, many of whom this will be their first ever time in a place of work. So actually telling them a bit about what to expect, that's a success factor. Ideally, on the placements, actually taking part in a range of interactive experiences. I mean, we've diplomatically not talked about our own experiences of work experience at school. I mean, I had uh, a friend at secondary school who spent a week putting CDs in, into shelves in a, in a sort of local record shop, which has long since gone bust. So I don't think you could say that was a particularly interactive or varied set of experiences. Um, and then actually also having time to debrief and reflect on the experience afterwards as well is really, really beneficial. The key barrier, I think, is a mismatch between schools and employers' needs, and this is something that Speakers for Schools specifically is trying to address. Schools typically have very, very rigid fixed timetables and obviously are bound to a large extent by the exam timetable. So the students doing work experience often are approaching their, their GCSE year in England. And so actually employers often want a little bit more flexibility. They don't necessarily just want to take students in the summer term for one week. They want a bit more wiggle room around that. Thanks, Will. And the final question, where are the particular issues or gaps that policymakers, practitioners should be thinking about in moving forward and progressing the, the careers education landscape provision support in the UK? Um, Elnez? Yeah, sure. Uh, great question. Uh, and that's a $1 million question, I, I would say. Yeah. Uh, so one of the recommendations of the SQW report, uh, or one of the areas uh, was identified around capacity and having um, people on the ground actually full-time coordinating work experience for, for young people. And this certainly is a challenge. And we have seen again in the um, policy report by Education Select Committee, this is an issue. There is a problem around that. And for us to, to achieve the ambitious goals of the campaign, kind of need to see more investment in this area. And again, I refer back to the £5,000 spending per school uh, to deliver CIG or GATSU benchmarks. That's nowhere near what some of the other developed countries are doing to take um, not only school age career into consideration, very serious consideration, but also creating a lifelong career guidance for everyone from early age all the way to their adulthood. But more importantly, I think young people need to access information about vocational and technical pathways when deciding about their futures. We can't leave it to last minute and expect that every young person uh, considers a vocational or, or, or technical uh, route into employment. We need to give them the opportunity to experience it firsthand much earlier and working with employers who do offer apprenticeship or taking uh, work with technical uh, education colleges. So I think work experience and experiences of the world of work more broadly is our opportunity to inform raise awareness and inspire young people to consider routes into employment that does not uh, have to go through higher education. Great. Thanks, Elias. Will, anything you'd add in closing to Elias's points? Um, agree with, with all the above. Um, there's something in there, I think, about the coordination 
needed to achieve the strategic goals that we've that we've set ourselves. So there's something about aligning and making the most of the various agencies and organisations who are helping schools to deliver careers education, schools and other settings. That leads me to a broader kind of more philosophical question, I think, which is whose responsibility actually is this? You know, I think if you talk to a lot of teachers, they would probably say, and arguably rightly so, that actually careers education is not really their responsibility. You know, if you're a maths teacher in a secondary school, your responsibility is teaching your students maths. It's not teaching them about the world of work. And I've got quite a lot of sympathy for that, for that line of argument. So let me join that point with what Alnaz was saying about properly funding this. You know, if we care about this, it should be properly funded and there should be the proper funding and time available for careers leaders to do do the job that they've been set. Um, and I think that would go some way in terms of expanding access to quality careers education because it would not be reliant on already massively overstretched teachers in other areas of school life. Um, and the final thing I'll mention is primary schools and just starting all of this as early as we can. Um, the Gallery benchmarks target secondary. And actually, if we had an equivalent set of benchmarks for primary careers guidance, I think actually that could be something really, really useful. Great. Thanks, Will. That's a really interesting final point, actually, about starting starting early and then aligning with both your points around the, the devils in the detail, actually, on some of this, and also that fundamental point about, yes, the resource really matters, but also, Elna, as you were talking about, behaviours and incentives and actually how you influence practitioners is a, a key element of addressing challenge and then also providing opportunity and information for young people. So thanks very much, Elnaz and Will, and thank you for listening to Insight for Impact. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. You've been listening to Insight for Impact, the podcast from SQW. To learn more about SQW, our people and our latest thinking, please visit our website at sqw.co.uk. And if you have any further feedback or thoughts on the podcast, or would like to suggest a topic for future episodes, please get in touch with us via LinkedIn and Twitter using the handle at SQW.